Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. My name is Kimberly Cook, and I'm the Senior Administrator here at the Hendricks Center. And today, we're going to be talking about ministering to and alongside those who have been in prison. And we're joined today by Anna Schaefer, who's the Prison Ministry Coordinator at First Baptist Dallas, Tristan Tenney over here, uh, who is our current Senior Faith and Work Fellow at the at the Hendricks Center, and who has also been a prison nurse for 10 years, so he's seen a lot of things. And then we have joining us via Skype, uh, Dan Brigger, who is the Wisconsin Director of the Prison Ministry at CRU, who has been in this type of ministry for 42 years, so he has seen even more. (laughs) So thank you so much for being here, everybody, and we're really excited about this conversation. We've wanted to have it for a long time, and it's kind of hard to actually find people to talk about it, believe it or not. (laughs) So thank you for being here. Um, First, I'd like to just go around and get a brief introduction from y'all and maybe hear a little bit of how you ended up working with and in relation with in relationship with um, those who are incarcerated and have been incarcerated. So Anna, let's start with you. Well, it's a very interesting <laughs> thing. I, I spent 28 years as a banker. So I'm a retired, I retired early from banking, had really just felt like I wanted to do the, something for the Lord. And I was really sick of corporate America. And <laughs> I had another. I had a job that ended, and I had another job offer, and I just really didn't want to take it. And so I, the Lord and I had a conversation, and I opted to do early retirement and just start seeking what He wanted me to do. I did a lot in our in our women's ministry at the church, and was reti- fully retired for three years. And I got involved in prison ministry because my small group Bible study leader started going to Gatesville with a group mm-hmm. uh, from our church, and and I was. I was uh, heading up a, a women's uh, missions team for women-to-women missions efforts, and I was looking for places for our women to go. And I said, I want to go find out about it, and it doesn't take very long. I, you know, I went twice and just went, okay, this is, you know, so I, I got involved with that team, and um, we'd been without a, anybody in my position for about nine months, and, and we're having a meeting one night and, and asking uh, our missions pastor for some things that we needed. and. He said, you know, ladies, I don't want to help y'all, but we need to get somebody in the office. And he turned around to me and said, you know, we need to talk because <laughs> we think you'd be great for this position. <laughs> They're always like, great. Wait a minute, do what? Oh. You know? <laughs> I am not I am not a minister. <laughs> I've never been to seminary. I don't want to go to you know. And yeah. we sat down and talked to him and I spent the, most of the interview trying to tell him why I was not qualified to do the job, but obviously it was the Lord, you know, wanting it. Uh, in banking I, I managed a department and and um, you know, headed up a staff, and and he said, I really want the church to have somebody that can coordinate teams of people to go. Mm. I want to mobilize our people to go and do ministry. I don't want one single person doing this ministry. I see lots of people involved, and so um, I've been in. I've only done prison ministry for five years now, and I've been on staff at the church for three. That's and I'm just part time. Yeah. Uh, so I'm semi retired, but. Um, I'm just honored and blessed that the Lord has allowed me to do what I do. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. 
Um, so, Dan, let's let's go to you next. Can you tell us a little bit about the 42 years and how you got involved in this whole conversation? Sure. When uh, when we first came with crew, we worked. Uh, I was formerly a school teacher, and so they put me with the high school ministry for three years. After that, worked with pastors and laymen for a couple of years. And then I learned about the prison ministry, which was just uh, quite young at that time. Met a man who had been given a 105-year sentence in mm -hmm. prison, uh, tried to tunnel out of Atlanta Federal, uh, but his, uh, his tunnel actually uh, collapsed. And he eventually decided maybe he'd check out Christianity. He came to know the Lord, and his life was so changed through uh, the, his relationship with the Lord that a third of the guards at Atlanta Federal signed a petition to the president asking him to give him a, uh, a full pardon, which he got. Oh, my goodness. And so I talked with him. I talked with the director of the prison ministry, and the Lord led us uh, to go with the with the prison ministry, we started in California for a couple of years. Then uh, opened the ministry here in Wisconsin. Been here ever since. I presently am working in four prisons, three maximum and one medium security each week. Uh, my wife and I have had the privilege of going to Siberia two times to train Christians over there when. 27 prisons opened up for Christians to come in and do ministry. Mm. So we taught the Christians over there how to do ministry in prison. And so I, uh, I considered a real privilege to continue doing evangelism and discipleship in the prison system. Fantastic. Wow. That's in Siberia. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, so that's Dan. Thank you. And then Tristan, let's hear a little bit about how you ended up in this world. So I have a bachelor's degree in nursing, and I went to work at a prison in West Virginia, briefly for a sta as a staff nurse, and then I became the director of health care services, and it was the largest prison in the state of West Virginia. And I was there for about seven years, and we felt like God was moving us to go to seminary. All at the same time, I was a pastor, pastoring a church bivocationally, and we moved here, and I had to find a job that, uh, um, as a nurse, to you know, while I was going to school to pay the bills and mm -hmm. feed our kids, and I started working at the Tarrant County Jail in Fort Worth, and so I've been there for most of my time while I've been at DTS, and I just feel that that is the preferred population that I like to work with. When we came here, I wanted to, I wanted to minister in a jail somewhere. Actually, I feel like my job as a nurse is there ministering because mm -hmm. it's a vulnerable population that that really um, needs somebody to be there to help teach them and to shine a light for them. And and I absolutely I agree with you. It's a it's a vulnerable population, but it is in doing research even for this podcast. It is a much larger con uh, congregation. <laughs> it's a much larger <laughs> congregation, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in population than I think a lot of Americans might be aware of, unless they're somehow employed in the 
in the justice system or, or something or they're really, you know, related or they know somebody who's in a prison. Um, the, some of the statistics that I found is, you know, one in 37 people is under correctional supervision uh, in America right now. So that's about almost it said almost three percent and 65 million Americans have a criminal record. And that is a huge group of people. And yeah. but again, if you're not in that world, which obviously there are quite a few people in that, but if you're not in that world, these people tend to remain rather invisible to us. Why do you all think that is? Why do they, why are they, like I said, just invisible to us? Dan, why don't we start with you? Why, why do you think that is? I think that uh, people are, are watching TV and seeing programs that show the worst part of what's going on. Hmm. Um, but when when someone gets sent to prison, it's kind of like society says, get them out of here, we don't want them around. And so they are basically a forgotten population. Hmm. And when I hear that, I think immediately of, of Genesis 1 and, you know, um, are being created in God's image and that each person has dignity as a person created, you know, as the image of God and that we are not aware of and not paying attention to often this huge group of people. Like they, they just remain invisible and their dignity isn't really recognized. What Do you all have any other thoughts as to why it is? Well, I think people in the church who have been formerly incarcerated don't really aren't really ready to jump up and say, "Hey, I've been in prison," mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. because there's a stigma attached to it that society has placed there. Um, but you would be surprised that you know the person sitting next to you in the pew in a church has likely been touched by incarceration in some some way, you know, either mm -hmm. them or a family member or a friend or, you know, and and uh, we have a number of people on our team who have been formerly incarcerated. And, you know, you don't know until you sit down and listen to somebody's testimony about how they got where they are now to know what they've been through in the past. So mm -hmm. I think as I think as Christians, we tend to to not just be completely open with all the bad stuff in our past. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. We want people to see us for how we are now and not necessarily what we've been through. And you're right, it really is. Um, I'm, if you would think of a modern day or a contemporary example, it, it, it's a, our contemporary scarlet letter, probably particularly for, for sex offenders. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. it's, that is something that our society, it is a, giant thing emblazoned on you that keeps people away and you know it's very hard for people to to I just even work through I, you know and it comes as a surprise like you said because people stay rather quiet about it um so so we've talked a little bit about the human dignity element of it Tristan what, as a seminary student, soon to be graduated seminary student, <laughs> what are some um, biblical or theological things, concepts, passages that we should keep in mind as we're considering this demographic? Yeah, so I think it's important for us to not to judge that um, I'm reminded every time I go to work that we're all sinners 
Mm-hmm. And a lot of times the only thing that's separating um, me from the person who's incarcerated currently is that their sins have been made aware of. Somebody knows about what they've done. And um, so, you know, we're all, we all are fallen and we make mistakes. And so I, I really, I think about that while I'm there, um, just, you know, I, not, not, not trying to judge and remembering that we are fallen, that we, we're, we're under the fall right now. Mm-hmm. Dan, what other biblical concepts or theological concepts have you kind of have stood out to you over all of your time in this ministry? Well, the book of Philemon is really uh, practical for helping people learn how to deal with prisoners when they come back to society. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul writes to Philemon and he says, you treat him as a brother. And the church needs to learn to be the church Mm -hmm. and to welcome these people. Uh, Again, there's that that stigma is always there, but there are are people in prison who have been completely transformed. They've learned to to turn their life over to Christ. And uh, once they get out, they face all kinds of problems, especially people who've been in for a long period of time. They're in a time warp. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hmm. A friend of mine, a man I ministered to, got out of prison after being in prison for over 30 years. And it was very difficult for him to acclimate to society. Another man who'd been in 26 years said for for months he was afraid to even walk out the door. Hmm. Things change so much while they're in there that uh, it's, it's a real difficult time for them to come in. But we need, we on the outside, need to be a conduit to help them get attached to the body of Christ out here. And we need to do the same thing that Barnabas did for Paul. He said, he's no longer killing Christians. Hmm. So, welcome him. Hmm. Anna, did you have anything you'd like to add? I think the main thing that comes to my mind is just grace. You know, God's grace for all of us in that you know, I mean, we're we're Easter is is Sunday, and you know, on Good Friday, Jesus died on the cross for all of us, and you know, our sins are no different than theirs, and God loved us enough to allow His Son to die for all of us, and and uh, I think the most important thing that we need to do is show them His love, and I think that's what they respond to as well mm-hmm. when we're doing ministry is the love of Christ. Now, um, <clears throat> this being such a large group of people, uh, it, I, Dan, you brought up, I think, exactly where I'd like to go with the conversation. Uh, we obviously need to love them while they are in prison. And um, like you said, I love that. Be a conduit to God's people, a conduit of God's grace while they are in prison. And really, I, I mean, I would have to imagine ideally helping them and helping the the experience be one of sanctification rather than just despair, you know, or a step in in a more negative direction, but really, you know, saying this is this is an opportunity for the Lord to really work 
for with you in a very intense way. And um, so loving them while they are in prison. But I think another piece to this and something we've seen on multiple occasions, even in our own church, is the body of Christ also needs to be considering and preparing and having a plan to reintegrate those who are coming out of prison into their communities. So not only are you ministering to them while they're there, you have a place for them to come that is safe and welcoming, you know, after their time in prison. But there are quite a few tensions associated with that kind of preparation that the church particularly and Christians individually have to have. There's just quite a few tensions in that preparation. So let's walk through some of that. What do, what are some of those tensions that we face that you all have seen people face as they maybe are genuinely trying to welcome past offenders but what what are the things that you see them managing tristan why don't we start with you yeah so i think there sometimes is anxiety that's uh, associated if people find out that somebody's coming to the church or that that's been to jail or prison but i really think it's uh, an ecclesiology thing it depends on uh, what your view of the church is um you know and how that's communicated from the leadership in the church down to the people who are in the congregation what is our view of the church is the church uh, a museum of for the saints or is the church a hospital for sick sinners and depending on how that's communicated i think is going to depend on the level of receptability of the congregation to receive people that have been to prison before Anna, what what are some of the tensions that you see that people have wrestled with um you know, I think one of the hardest things is is you're dealing with a lot of people who have had addiction issues in the past, mm. and and they want to get away from that addiction, but sometimes they relapse with that addiction. Mm-hmm. And dealing with that uh, as they come back into society and come back to church can, can be a real struggle, uh, particularly if they're not managing that well. And they're not st- able to stay off of whatever their addiction is, you know, to, whether it's mm-hmm. drugs or alcohol. Uh, it can be a problem when, when they uh, come to church, you know, or on campus, and and are under the influence of of drugs or alcohol. Um, you know, that can be a problem. Mm-hmm. It's not real. I don't think it's real often. Um, you know, we had one situation that we had to deal with in that regard, but I don't think it's real often. But um, I think they really, you know, that's that's a big struggle. Is a lot of people that are incarcerated have been, are are there because of an addiction issue, and so coming out, dealing, helping them deal with addiction issues is is really important. Hmm. You know, um, that's interesting. And in that in ta- in talking with Tristan about some of this beforehand, it really stood out to me. I just it, Tristan, you can share some of the statistics in a second, but I. Ha- had no idea at least actively and you know i it makes sense (laughs) but i had i had never really considered the role of addiction and drug and alcohol can you share some of the statistics do you remember them yeah so i usually i work in the screening department which is the booking department where people come in off the streets into the jail 
And um, statistics show that 60 to 80 percent of everyone who is arrested has at least one drug in their system at the time of arrest. So we spend lots of time um, trying to detox those folks, making sure that their mm-hmm. their health is taken care of. And then they got to struggle with knowing that they're going to go back out into society. And if they go back to the same group of friends, the same place, the same social network, it's going to be, uh, they're going to have a, a you know, similar outcome. Mm-hmm. And they really, again, if you, uh, the church being one, one way but if there's no other conduit to a community that's precisely where they're going to go back Mm, you know i mean they're already going to have to manage that anyway but then if there's not a healthy place for them to be as well that just sets them up almost for relapse and failure yeah if if they don't have a network of of people who can encourage them and hold them accountable Mm -hmm. absolutely it's going to happen that's so on the practical end, if if drugs and alcohol and addiction are um, such a issue that needs to be managed as it relates to this particular demographic of, demographic of people, maybe one way that the church can make itself more friendly to past offenders and that kind of uh, and those that group would be to have a really robust recovery program is that what i'm hearing yeah i think so okay okay um okay so that uh, yeah that was just something that i had never considered and then (laughs) in hearing from you all i thought oh my goodness that is such a huge issue and you know i'm in my sheltered world i I think as you you talk to those who are coming you're getting ready to go home Mm -hmm. their greatest fear is you know I don't want to go home and make the same mistakes I made that yeah. got me here. Mm. I want to go home and be different than I was, and I don't want to. I don't want to relapse. I don't want to go back to those those old behaviors. And they really there. There's a fear there of I'm going to get sucked back into that, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to. Mm. And and I see that expressed a lot when they're getting ready to go home. Interesting. This episode is brought to you by the Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. So I feel like another tension that is maybe faced more on the part of the Christian community on the outside um, that is seeking to be, hopefully, seeking to be a welcome place um, is that there's this tension between truly believing in redemption and grace and extending that to people 
and a fear. It has to be called that. It's a it's a straight up fear of being taken advantage of or being placed in an unsafe situation. And I feel like that fear and that tension between really wanting to be gracious and believe that the Lord can change. And like you were talking about, Dan, the true transformation has and can happen. So there's these two things that both individuals who might sit next to somebody in a pew and hear their story and think, oh, wow, okay, okay. (laughs) I still want to show you the love of Christ, you know, but I have these two conflicting emotions. Let me first ask, is that even something that we need to be worrying about as Christians? Is that something, is is the Christian thing just to forgive and forget? Is it unchristian to take precautions? Just that whole area of tension, I think, is a big barrier for churches and Christian communities becoming a safe place and and a welcoming place for past offenders. So, Dan, I'd really like to hear your thoughts on that tension. And if, like I said, is it even something we should be worrying about? Well, when I hear men say, I'm I'm soon going to get out, I tell them, you need to concentrate on walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. I take them to Galatians 5. It says, if we walk after the Spirit, we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Um, they, uh, statistics say that over 90% of prisoners are there because of alcohol and drug abuse. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I take them to that first list in, in Galatians 5 that says, uh, these are the works of the flesh. And then I show them the fruit of the Spirit in the following list. And at the end of the list of the fruit of the Spirit, it says, there is no law against these things. And I often tell the men, when I see a man come back to prison that I've worked with before, I say, why are you back here? And I have yet to hear a man say, I'm back on three counts of kindness and two of gentleness. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so we need to help them learn, if they haven't already, what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And when they walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and have someone who can disciple them and hold them accountable, You need to have at least one person in a church who compassionately loves this person but isn't afraid to ask those hard questions. Mm -hmm. How's your thought life right now? What's the Holy Spirit been telling you this week? And how well are you doing with Christian fellowship? Asking these real hard questions to a person, showing them love by giving them time with them, and actually continuing the discipleship process because they've come through um, a lot of programs. Prisons have programs, but it's always based on yourself, depending on yourself instead of the Holy Spirit. And Mm -hmm. so they need to be continually worked with, discipled, and uh, if a person, one person can meet with them once a week and spend time together really sharing their life Lots of times we talk about discipleship, 
and we equate that with Christian ed. Well, discipleship needs to have accountability, time in the Word, and prayer, and intimacy. We need to get to know that person intimately and share our lives with them so they can have somebody with skin on who has been through difficulties. Uh, Galatians uh, Galatians um, 6, help those who have fallen, do it with gentleness, and uh, Romans 5 and 2 Peter 1 both talk about the growth process. They need to face reality that tribulation in our life causes endurance, so they need to be ready to face tribulation in the outside world. Hmm. Just to kind of echo what yeah. Dan is saying is, um, you know, people when they are released, they really have the cards stacked against them. Um, they're going to have a difficult time getting a job now that they have a, a criminal background. And the Department of Justice released a study that they followed about 400,000 inmates across 30 states over nine years, and they found that five out of six of those folks were were back in jail at some point in time. So they really need to trust in the Holy Spirit, and they need a, a community of believers to be incorporated in. So keying in on a, on a word that Dan used, that in creating an intimacy with at least one person in the Christian community brings up, you know, the tension of, but I don't, I, if I'm in the Christian community, is, should I be worried about being unsafe or is that just something that I need to get past? And that the Christian thing to do is to get past that for the sake of this other. Because I I definitely think there's a part of that. What are your thoughts on that? Have you encountered anybody who's who has felt these tensions in your ministry, Anna? No, but I think you know Scripture says we need to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. You know, Mm -hmm. we need to be wise in in keeping ourselves safe. But I think you can do that and interact with them. I think you could, you know, you could be a mentor to someone who's and and most of the prison systems will allow you to be a mentor while they're in prison and then be a mentor as mm. they come out, which is a great way to do it, you know. And that's one of my desires is for us to start a team of mentors who will connect with people before they come out and then work with them after they get out. And and I think that continuity of knowing them when they're in and and working with them as they come out is great. But you can do that by by meeting with them at the church, you know, have have that once a week session with them, but do it on the church campus, you know, where you know it's a neutral ground, and you're not you're not taking them to your home, or uh, you know, meet at a, a coffee shop, you know, or um, I, I think there's things you can do to to be safe and to be wise, but at the same time show the love of Christ. You know, and there are you know there are programs, and you know we we have a, a halfway house that we work with here in Dallas for uh, single moms coming out, mm-hmm. and um, you know I love the ministry that we do there, and and we connect with those ladies on a regular basis, and some of them do come to our church, and you know we we really have you know they, and they've been integrated into our church without any problems at all, um, you know so I, th- I think it's I think it's very possible. To, to deal with that tension by just being wise in, okay, they're not necessarily going to be your best friend and come to your home or things like that, but you can be their friend and meet with them at church and be their mentor, 
you know, and and really that that tension between do you want to be their their mentor and disciple them, or do you want to be their friend, their buddy, mm-hmm. you know? And I think Dan would say, you know, we need to be their mentor, their and disciple them, and hold them accountable, and and do the hard stuff, which is to be honest with them, and ask those mm-hmm. questions about, mm-hmm. you know, how are things going? So that could I yeah could go I for add something please do. Um, in prison, the general rule is you don't ask an inmate what he's in for, yeah. what mm-hmm. crime he committed. But I found from my experience, as I begin to share my life with a person, what's going on inside me, what has gone on inside me, my background, they open up and they start sharing their background and quite often will just tell you the whole story of how they got into prison and then you know where to go with them more clearly hmm that's interesting that's very interesting we um what does and you were you were starting to go there i think with what you were saying anna but i think there's an important overarching question of what does a church what does a a prisoner past offender friendly church look like what you know if we if you could say man these would be ideal programs or lack of programs if that's what they've been through you know or you know here are the key characteristics of the congregation members and the congregation has been you know set up to receive this demographic of people well what does just what does that look like what are some what are some things that you would say? And I, we've already mentioned mentorship. We've mentioned a, a solid, robust recovery ministry. What else would you all say? Tristan, let's start with you. Yeah, I think finding ways for them to be engaged in the activities of the church. Uh, we have a gentleman that goes to our church, and um, he spent about 25 years in prison for murder and was released and was very reluctant to go to church anywhere because of the way he felt that he would be received. And he had a conversation with our pastor and and just told him his story, where he'd been and uh, what had happened in his life. And uh, our church really opened their arms up and and accepted him into the church. And a few months ago, they placed they played his story. He they recorded his story about how he had been changed and his life was redeemed. And at the end of that, you know, there's always this tension of, you always wonder how, how are people going to receive this? And he, he, he laid it all out and said how God had forgiven him and his life had been changed. And at the end of that story, everybody in the church stood and clapped and applauded him. Mm. And so and, and every Sunday morning he's at our church in the parking lot welcoming cars, helping people find the door. Uh, we got another guy who spent time in prison, and he's very passionate about reaching folks who are drug addicted and homeless and have been to prison, and so he is out ministering to those folks as an extension of our church. So I think it's important to find ways to get them engaged in activities of the church. One of the the men who I worked with, the one that I referred to earlier, was a lifer, got out of prison, and began attending a church and his life spoke for what it was. And after a few years of doing um, hard labor, 
uh, job where he he had to work swing shift, and he's in his in his uh, late fifties. After they saw his lifestyle, and let him teach a few times, a few years later, they asked him to become their pastor, and he's mm-hmm. now pastor of that church. And I think those folks, their testimonies are so powerful. They add so much to the church, so much flavor to the church of a changed life, of the actually the transforming power of the work of God in someone's life. And just for their testimonies to be shared, I think it's just it's so powerful. So what I'm hearing is an opportunity not just for them to be included in the community, but to for them to potentially go into vocational Christian ministry, at least put definitely finding a place for them to serve, that that kind of idea is key also. Anna, is there anything else you'd add as far as how to create a friendly environment, maybe particularly as it relates to the congregation? If, if, if you have a congregation that might be a little bit more reticent, what, what that might look like, how to prepare them. If you have a congregation that's reticent, that then they may not be involved in any kind of prison ministry, you know, and and so getting them educated on hmm. prison ministry in general and you know what they can do coming back out, um, I think is probably important. I, we have a church body that is very open and welcoming, and uh, we do ministry at Dallas County Jail. We do ministry at. At, uh, in Gatesville, we do ministry in the Estes Unit in Venus, and you know the the folks we're ministering to know where where we are and how to get in touch with us. And you know we we tell them when we do ministry, if you parole to Dallas County, you know you are welcome. You are welcome on our campus. You know, and mm-hmm. if you'll let me know ahead of time, we'll make sure somebody meets you and gets you integrated into the church. You know, and so. Um, I think it's it, it, you know it's just being showing the love of Christ and uh, to everybody, not not just the formerly incarcerated. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so it's just that, it's believe, just that attitude. I of believe that the church has one big responsibility, and that is to not lay hands too quickly on someone. <laughs> um, there was a man who got out of prison, he was a relatively new Christian, and someone heard him share his testimony, and they said, we want to get you on our TV. It was one of the major Christian TV networks, and Mm -hmm. he he called me up and said, I'm going to be on international TV sharing my testimony. And I said, I'm sorry to hear that. He said, what? I said, yes, I'm sorry to hear that. Bible says you shouldn't lay hands on anyone too quickly. Mm. Oh, they're not laying their hands on me. I said, yes, they are. You get in front of that camera, they're laying their hands on you. He says, well, I'm going to do it anyhow. He got out of that, uh, finished that that uh, program sharing his testimony, and a few months later he was living with his girlfriend in sin. I don't know if he went back to prison ever, but... Uh, he blew it, and I told him the enemy would come after him real hard once he did that. So I tell people, you shouldn't be getting up giving your testimony publicly uh, until after at least six months to a year being out and getting your life back in order. And so on on the other side, the church who is welcoming 
individuals in can be as warm as as warm as possible and as mm-hmm. welcoming as possible, but also saying we're gonna we're gonna watch for a while and you are absolutely welcome to be a part of our community, but we are we're not gonna you know put you in charge of anything or you know like put you in the mm-hmm. and we're just we're just gonna take this nice and slow is that is that fair is that sure fair? yeah i think so i know as a pastor um you're held between the tensions of trying of wanting to welcome and embrace and offer forgiveness to folks who have been to prison um but then also you are try also you have a responsibility to the congregation as well to protect and make sure that everybody's safe. That's so you got to hold those does. things, hold those mm-hmm. things in tension. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. So getting into that, I think Anna and I, you've spoken, you and I have spoken a little bit about um, in particular areas where where safety and keeping your congregation safe and that kind of thing pops up. What can you walk us through those kinds of situations with past offenders? I think probably the biggest one would be sex offenders who mm-hmm. who you know come to your church, uh, and you know at at our church they're welcome, but but they're asked to meet with the head of our pastoral ministries department uh, and the head of our facilities and and visit with them before they come on campus and understand what the expectations are for for them being on campus, and then they're asked to check in with security when they're on campus and and to have uh someone with them hmm. you know uh that that will be with them while they're on campus uh and and of course you have to be careful with in those situations that you know when you allow people to work in church and and do ministry that you're not placing them in a position where there could be a problem you know, so like working with children or mm-hmm. working with teenagers or, you know, um, working with the opposite sex, you know, mm-hmm. you know, keeping them keep, keeping them in places where they're going to feel safe and the congregation is going to feel safe as well. Dan, do you have anything to add to that? I, I agree very much with, with that aspect. Um, I think that if depending on the person's crime, we don't really need to tell anybody that they're mm-hmm. an ex-offender. Correct. Mm-hmm. As they melt into the congregation, people will see their life because many prisoners have come out of prison where they've had a fantastic close fellowship because of the persecution they get, and they go out and they say, I couldn't find that kind of fellowship anywhere. And that's why we need to give them a mentor a discipler who can really help move them into the church and be that conduit to encourage them and introduce them to other people and help them along. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I, and I agree with you. I think we've even seen that in our congregation at, at our church. Is it's, it's typically best not to publicize anything. You know, if somebody has some questions, finds out. You know somebody's background then then the church can say yes we're aware you know this is the situation here's here's what we've been doing to make sure that we're shepherding and keeping everybody you know again the the tension between redemption and security that that people feel and um but i just keeping it on the dl and letting people really 
be reintegrated in a in a in a holistic in a very authentic way. So, um, well, okay. Well, I, I already asked that question. <laughs> I looked down and I thought, oh my goodness. Well, there it is. Um, what one final thought or question is? How can I, as an individual? So we talked a lot about a church and what the institution can do and kind of how they can set it up. How can I, as an individual, work, like, get into ministering to and building relationship, relationships with prisoners and past it and then, you know, transitioning maybe even into past offenders and, and that kind of thing. How, how can I get involved, one, and also what should I be working on in my own heart and in my own you know, praying for in my own spiritual development, what should, what should be my approach? Anna, let's start with you. Well, our folks who are involved in our ministry first are members of our, our congregation. Uh, so we do all of our ministry through prison fellowship is, is, mm-hmm. is our, who, who gets us in the doors of the prisons. Uh, but they are members of our church. And I get lots of requests from people who are not church members wanting to know about our ministry. And I always mm-hmm. tell them, you know, our, our teams are made up of our church members. But, you know, if you're interested, I can put you in touch with someone from Prison Fellowship in our area that can tell you other ways you can get involved. Um, but, you know, I meet with everyone who wants to be a part of our prison ministry and at first and talk with them about how they came to know the Lord, where they are in their walk right now, and why they think they want to do prison ministry. Because I think you have to be very solid in your faith and very stable emotionally, mm-hmm. spiritually, everything. I mean, your life has to be on, on solid ground for you to take on doing prison ministry. Uh, it's an area where the enemy attacks, and, and that's the warning that I give everybody that gets involved in our ministry. If you're not aware of what spiritual warfare is, you will be very soon because mm-hmm. the the enemy does not like us taking the light to the darkness. And he tries to stop us at every turn. And you need people who are strong in their faith and strong warriors for the faith to to be able to do this ministry and and to stick with it. You know, uh, prayer is an overarching requirement for everything. We we have a prayer team. We pu- we publish a prayer calendar on a mm-hmm. weekly basis, and I expect that everybody that's involved in our ministry is praying for the ministry, for the teams, for the people we're ministering to, uh, praying for the Lord to bring more laborers because the harvest is ripe and we need more laborers. And there's lots of opportunity to get involved uh, if you want to get involved, um, but you need to be in a good place yourself before you before you're ready to do that. Hmm. Interesting. So I just want to thank you all so much for being here. Anna, (laughs) I almost called you Anna. (laughs) Anna, Tristan, and Dan, thank you so much for your time and for your incredible ministries and your just dedication to the dignity of this group of people. And um, we just want to also thank you for joining us on the table. And if you have a topic you would like us to consider for a future episode, please email us at thetable at dts.edu. Again, that's thetable at dts.edu. And be sure to join us next time as we discuss issues of God and culture.
Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. Thank you.